So there was a season of my life that I talk about pretty often. It's a season when I was in graduate school, but it wasn't your typical graduate school. It was a graduate school in wilderness ministry. And so basically, I spent a year backpacking and canoeing and mountain biking and rock climbing all around the U.S., and I got graduate credit for it. It was awesome. (laughs) One of the trips, I was backpacking in Big Bend National Park in Texas. It's a desert, and like you do when you're backpacking, it's critical that you can read the map so that you know where you're going. Well, there was one particular day. I was the leader of the day, which meant it was my job to have the map and make sure we knew where we were going. Well, we stopped at this little open space at the bottom of a hill, and we were looking around trying to decide where we should go next. But here's the thing about hiking in the desert. There's no trails. There's just sand and rock as far as you can see, and the gentlest wind blows away any footprints that might have been there. And standing in this open space, it was clear that there was something that could be a trail over to our left. There was something that could be a trail straight ahead. And there was something that could be a trail going up a hill to our right. So I did what you do. I pulled out the map and I studied the map. I looked around me and I studied the terrain. I pulled out my compass and I studied my compass so that I could take the map and the terrain and make them work together. Well, I decided that based on the map, we should go up the hill to our right. Me and the dozen or so others that were hiking together after about an hour, made it to the top of the hill. When one of my friends on the trip looked down and said, Carl, isn't that the trail down there? And sure enough, we could see this little series of stacks of rocks. If you've hiked in Colorado, you've seen them. People stack up rocks along a trail. It's called a cairn, and it's a way to mark where the trail is. Well, back at our critical decision point, we couldn't see any Karens anywhere around us. But on top of the hill, we could see that I'd made the wrong decision. I'd followed the wrong path. And now we just hiked for over an hour up a big hill. Well, we're in a sermon series, uh, just a two-part series this week and next week, during which we're going to talk a little bit about where we've been in the past year, about where we're going ahead. We're going to talk about that individually as as persons trying to make good decisions that bring us to good destinations in our life. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit about that corporately. Where are we as a church going and how do we make the right decisions to get where God is leading us? But here's the idea I want to put out there to begin this whole thing. The reason we're going to talk about the importance of decisions is because decisions determine our destinations. Just like me, when I looked at the map and I looked at the terrain, I decided to go up. And because I went up, that is where I went. If you're not making good decisions in your life, you know you're not very likely to land in good destinations. But next week, we're going to consider the sort of complementary inverse of that, which is that while our decisions determine our destinations, if we're wise, 
our destinations will also determine our decisions. We'll make choices not just based on what do I think, but we'll make choices based on where am I trying to go. I'm going to share a number of different questions that I think could be helpful for us. As we seek to be people who, following Christ, putting his priorities first in our lives, as we seek to be people who make good decisions. And there's one question that I want to lay over the top of it all. This is the question that I think is going to be overarching both this week and next week. And quite frankly, it's a question that I think you should regularly stop and ask yourself. Where am I trying to go? If you think about your life, if you think about this crazy year that we just wrapped up and all that happened, if you look ahead to the days and weeks and months just in your future in 2021, do you have a clear picture of where you are trying to go? I'll tell you what I think that picture should involve. It should involve an understanding of who God made you. You, in specific. Not somebody else, not somebody else's gift, not somebody else's life, not somebody else's resources. Who God made you. And it should involve how the way God made you fits into the world where he placed you. So, if you haven't done it, I know a lot of people do it, but if you haven't, at the end of 2020, created some space to really ask yourself, where am I going in life? I'd really encourage you, make the answer to that question a critical first priority. If you do have some sense of a destination in your mind, then like me and like many people, it's important for us to try to figure out how do I make the right decisions that will get me to that destination? Well, we have no lack of resources to look to, especially in the new year, because you know when the new year comes, every podcast and every blog and every author is publishing some new way to make great decisions. And I thought to myself, you know what we need as a church? We need some good ways to make great decisions. And I thought to myself, all right, well, what am I going to look? Am I going to look at the bloggers or the podcasters or the authors? The first place I decided to look was one of my favorite places to look. I decided to consult my four children. I said, kids, they were in the backseat of the car. We were driving to school together. I said, kids, tell me this. How do you make good decisions? And their answers did not disappoint, my friends. How do you make good decisions? Esther, my nine-year-old, she piped in first. She said, think before you choose. It's like, Esther, that's good. That's a good word. Tobiah, though, the oldest, he wasn't going to be outshone by his younger sister, and he clearly has heard a more rhyming version of that. He said, Dad, you need to look before you leap. I said, that's right, look before you leap. You don't know if there's going to be a rock under the water. That's good advice, Tobiah. Esther decided she wanted to get a little more in depth So I'm just giving you verbatim what she said next. She said, Dad, think, wink, double wink, choose. I'm going to let you do with that whatever you want to do with that. But then Naomi, my four-year-old, she piped in and she said, Dad, we need to teach Asa how to be kind. (laughs) I was like, 
you know, you're right. That would be a good decision because Asa, my youngest, sometimes isn't kind. And Asa, hearing his name and wanting to participate in this wise counsel about decision-making, he shouted, Baya! That's what he calls his big brother, Tobiah. He calls him Baya. He said, Baya, stop it, okay? <laughs> well, I tell you what. If you want some guidance on how to make good decisions, you don't need to decipher the words of my children. You don't need to look to the most recent content creator or author who's publishing something out there. It turns out that the best wisdom, wisdom for making the best decisions has been right in front of us for thousands of years and millions of people across history have testified that God himself has given us good counsel. And so here's what I want to do. I want to figure out what's some ways to make good decisions in this new year, not based on what an author thinks or what some content creator wrote or even, as much as I love my children, what my own children have said. Rather, I want to figure out what God's word says to us about making great decisions because we know that our decisions determine our destinations. We're going to be in the book of Psalms, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be in the book of Luke if you want to pull out your Bible right now. But here we go. We've got four tips for great decision making, and I'm going to give them to you right up front. Tip number one, be honest. Tip number two, be clear. Tip number three, pray. Tip number four, don't go alone. Each one of these comes straight from God's word, and I'm going to do everything I can to not just teach you God's word, but to help you apply God's word to your life. Because knowing God's word is not the goal. Applying God's word to the days and the decisions of our life, that's the goal. So my hope is that through some stories, through some sharing from my own life, God's word might make an impact in your life life, both today and in all, especially all the critical decisions you're going to make in the year ahead. So tip number one, be honest. It's a good tip. We shouldn't lie. We know that lying pretty much always turns out worse. Here's the scripture that I was thinking about when I came to this tip. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Now, here's the really interesting thing about this psalm. It was written by a guy named David, one of the kings of the nation of Israel from the Old Testament. And if you were to go back and read the beginning of Psalm 139, it starts in a very similar way. The very first phrase, David says, You have searched me, and you know me, God. And then all of Psalm 139 is explaining just how intimately and specifically and with detail God knows everything about our lives. And so I said to myself, wait a minute. If David already acknowledged that God already searched him, already knows him, already knows everything about his life, then why does David say at the end this invitation, God, search me and know my heart? 
I mean, we've already established God's doing that anyway. And here's my observation. I think David did that, not to invite God to do what God was already doing, but rather for David to acknowledge and affirm what God was doing. See, if we're ready to cooperate with God, who already knows us, then here's what's definitely going to happen as a result. We're going to know ourselves better as well. We're going to get to know our own hearts and anxious thoughts. We're going to learn if there's any offensive ways in us, and we're going to be able to follow God in the ways everlasting. So when I say be honest, what I actually mean is be honest with yourself, because we know that tragically, too often the person in our lives who it's easiest to lie to and deceive is the person we look at in the mirror every day. So if you want to be honest with yourself, here's the question I would encourage you to ask before making any major decisions. The question is, why am I doing this? Have you ever been around somebody? Have you ever been around yourself? When you were doing something and you knew that you were lying about the reason you were doing it. Seriously, write this question down on a piece of paper right now. Why am I doing this? I mean, if you think about it, it's pretty absurd when we lie to ourselves. I've got a friend, she uh, told me this story about her dad. He must have been going through some sort of like major midlife crisis or something. Because he got up one morning and he said to his wife, Honey, I'm going to go and I'm going to get an oil change. And he came home with a brand new BMW convertible. From an oil change to a convertible. And I can only imagine that his wife looked him in the eye and said, why in the world did you do this? Now, I don't know why he did it, but here's what I do know. There's a lot of things he could have said that would not have been the true answer. I mean, what if he looked his wife in the eye and said, well, I bought this new car, honey, because I wanted more room for the grandkids. We would know that he's lying to himself. So, first tip for making great decisions, according to God's word, be honest with yourselves. If we can't be honest with ourselves, there's no way we're going to make the decisions that get us to our desired destinations. Second, after we're be honest, second, we're going to be clear. The author of Proverbs said it this way. The wise see danger ahead and avoid it, but fools keep going and get into trouble. Here's the thing about making great decisions. If we're going to make a good decision, we have to be absolutely clear about what the real decision is. The Proverbs is talking about seeing danger ahead, but if I'm looking at something and it's not the real danger ahead of me, then I know I'm going to make the wrong decision. We have to be clear about what the real decision is in our lives. I had an experience with this very thing on that same trip in Big Bend National Park many years ago. See, after we finished backpacking nine days through the desert, we traded our backpacks in for paddles and we canoed for 16 days down the Rio. 
As we're canoeing, many different times we would come to a series of rapids. And if you're ever on a river and you're about to navigate some rapids, you must always stop, get out of the river ahead of the rapids, and you've got to scout the rapids. You've got to look up and down. You've got to say, where's the water flowing? Where are the rocks or other impediments? And you've got to make a plan for how you're going to navigate down the rapids. Now, I love canoeing. I love rapids. It's a lot of fun. So we got to a significant rapids one day. We stopped. We pulled out. And my instructor, a man named Ken, was standing on the edge of the river looking at the rapids. And I came up to him and I said, well, what do you think? He said, Carl, I don't think we're going to run this rapids. I said, what do you mean we're not going to run this rapids, Ken? It's pretty clear. The water flows right here. There's one big rock in the middle. You just got to go to the right, stay on the shoreline. You're free and clear. Ken, I don't know why we wouldn't run this rapids. It's pretty obvious. Ken said, you're right. If we were going to run the rapids, that's exactly what we would do. But then Ken simply pointed. Not at the rapids, but across the river on the other side. See, while we were standing on the shore, on the other side was a sheer cliff. And this rapids didn't just go straight. It went straight and turned sharp to the right at the very end of the rapids. And right where the river turned was a sheer cliff. And Ken was pointing where the water hit that cliff. And when water goes straight into an immovable object, it turns into something we call a hydraulic. The water just churns over and over and over on itself. When Ken pointed, I actually saw a giant log pop out of the water upstream, go straight to the wall, and get sucked underwater. A couple minutes later, it popped back out again before getting sucked back underwater. See, I thought the decision I needed to make was how to run the rapids in front of me. But it turned out I completely missed the real decision, which was the decision to avoid a life-threatening danger just across the river. The wise see danger and avoid it, but fools keep going and get into trouble. So the second question I challenge you to ask anytime you're making a critical decision in life is, what is the real decision? Have I been clear about what actually is in front of me? Third tip, be honest, be clear, and then we must stop and pray. Here's the fascinating thing about stopping to pray in order to make critical decisions in life. We have, in God's word, all sorts of stories about Jesus. And Jesus, we know, was God's son and God himself here on earth. There's nobody that ever has been or ever will be as close to God as Jesus was. It's reasonable to think there's nobody who knows what God wants more than Jesus. And yet, in many places, we find, as it says in Luke, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus, who knew God better than anybody else, withdrew to pray when? Often. 
How often is often? I don't know, but it's often. And if Jesus prayed often, even though he already was closer to God than anybody else, that means you and I need to stop and pray often. You might have heard, I know, when I was younger, when people were teaching me this as I was a kid, they would sometimes uh, ask this question of me. I've got a big decision in life. And they'd say, Carl, have you prayed about it? And I don't know why, but for some reason, uh, for a long season of life, that question bothered me. I didn't like it. Have I prayed about it? Of course I've prayed about it. Or maybe I haven't prayed about it, but I don't want to admit to you that I've prayed about it, so I don't like that you're asking me whether I've prayed about it. But I've actually been thinking about that discomfort I had with that question for a number of years of my life. Maybe you've had the same experience, and, and maybe you've had the same discomfort. And I realized it really wasn't a discomfort with people asking me whether I prayed. Rather, that question caused me to realize that I had for a long time in my life an immature understanding of prayer. See, I used to think that prayer was all about raising my voice and speaking my mind and stating my opinion. And there certainly is a right time and a right place for prayer to be about me and my words. However, what I've been learning with time that's made me more comfortable with this question, have I prayed about it, is that often prayer is actually more about quieting my heart than about raising my voice. It's more about asking the question than speaking my mind. It's more about seeking God's counsel than it is about stating my opinion. And when I realized that prayer is often more about my silence than about my statements, it suddenly opened a whole new world. Here's the question that somebody asked me once that actually has reframed the way I think about praying in order to make a decision. It's a question I'd encourage you to ask as you consider whether or not you're praying about the critical decisions in your life. Do I know the sound of God's voice? Do you know the sound of God's voice? The reason I like that question is because what it implies is that if I'm going to pray in order to make a decision, that needs to be a prayer in which I hear God speaking to me. And the thing about God's voice is Scripture describes it as a whisper, as a still, small, even gentle voice. So in any critical decision you're making in life, have you prayed about it? And not just have you prayed, have you stopped or said some things or thought some things toward God, but rather, have you listened and do you know the sound of God's voice? That sound can show up for many different people in many different ways. It can show up like we're going to talk about next through the counsel of others. It can show up through some sort of internal thought or direction. But I want to tell you the way that the voice of God has sounded for me in my life just recently. I actually am kind of in the middle of of a somewhat big decision right now. Not like giant major, the details don't matter, but a somewhat big decision. And I had this decision in front of me and I, you know, I did the normal things. I, I, like I've said, I was honest with myself about why I made the decision. I thought, yeah, I think I'm being honest. I was clear about what the decision was. And when I thought about that, it actually showed me a couple other things I had to pay attention to. 
I sought wise counsel. I talked to my wife, Micken. I talked to some people at work. I talked to some mentors in my life. Everything lined up, and it was abundantly clear. Everybody was saying, yeah, Carl, that's the right thing to do. I think you've figured it out. You've thought about it. That's the right thing to do. And yet, even though everybody agreed, even though all the reasons were lined up, I had a little tension in my heart about the decision. I had a tension that deserved my attention. The impulsive thing to do would have been like, ah, forget about the tension because my friends and mentors have spoken. The reasons are clear in front of me. I'm just going to move forward. But I think that tension that deserved my attention was actually the sound of God's still small voice telling me, stop, slow down a little, and wait. And I even wrestled with it because I was like, well, why do I need to wait? It's abundantly clear. There's nothing wrong or immoral about this. This is supported by your word in many ways. Everybody in my life is telling me. And yet I had a tension. And so I waited. And what happened was because I waited, I didn't even have to wait that long, but because I waited, some new information showed up. And that new information made just a little change in the way I would make the decision. And that little change made a big difference. And it made it so that I could say, yes, not only am I doing this, but I'm doing this with the confidence that this is, in fact, what God has told me to do. Do you know the sound of God's voice? And if so, what is he telling you in the decisions in your life? And as you're listening, is there a tension that deserves your attention? Be honest. Be clear. Pray. And last but certainly not least, don't go alone. The author of the Proverbs, again, said, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. We know that anybody who wants to make great decisions is going to surround themselves with great counselors who give them great guidance. I've heard a number of different authors, people in leadership, people in just life coaching in general say, what you want to make sure is that anytime you're making a decision, make sure that you're the dumbest person in the room. Because if you're the dumbest person in the room, you know you've surrounded yourself with wise counselors. So if you want to follow this advice, here's the question you could ask yourself. Am I making any decisions in isolation. But here's the thing I realized about the benefit of having many counselors so that you're avoiding isolation and making decisions in community. The thing is, not only does their guidance help you make better decisions, but also if you are being prayerful about your decisions, then when God does speak, if you pause to pay attention to that tension and God does lead, then not only do you get the benefit of seeing God work in your life, but all of those counselors get yet one more piece of evidence that God is here, he is present, and he is speaking to our lives today.
Four tips to making great decisions straight from God's word, confirmed by millions of people over thousands of years to be true and trustworthy. And I would hope you would hold them up for any critical decision in your life right now. Take a second and just pause. What are the critical decisions you're making in your life? Do you know them? Have you identified them? Have you made them as clear as possible before you? I would hope that you would make those decisions in the way that God has told us in his word. And like we said at the beginning, our decisions determine our destinations. But if we're wise, we're also going to make sure that our destination, determined in advance, guides the way we make our decisions. So we ask ourselves again, where am I going in 2021? Do you have a picture of that? There's an author, his name's Michael Hyatt, and he tells this story. Him and his wife were snorkeling one day on vacation in some beautiful tropical place. And the snorkeling was so amazing, the water was so clear, the fish were so vibrant that he and his wife were just totally absorbed in it. They didn't pull their heads up for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And when they finally did lift their heads, they looked around trying to find the shore and they saw it was a long ways away. They'd been so enmeshed in the snorkeling that they didn't realize they'd been dragged out by a riptide far into sea. And they'd taken the training. They knew they needed to swim sideways against the riptide, to, not into it, but crossways from it to get out of it. And then they set to the work of swimming furiously to get back to the safety of shore. But as Michael reflected on this experience, getting dragged out to sea and needing to exert a lot of energy to make it safely back to shore, here was his conclusion. You never drift to a desired destination. The only way he and his wife were going to get back to that shore was if they swam like crazy to get there. So let me ask you, do you know what that shoreline is? Do you have a destination in mind in your life guiding the decisions you make? Because you're not going to drift your way into a desired destination in life. And if you do, then we know that there's always some good questions that lead to good decisions. So I challenge you, ask yourself, Anytime there's a critical decision in front of you, maybe you even have one in your mind right now. Why am I doing this? Second, what is the real decision? Have I made it clear? Third, what is God telling me? Have I prayed about it and do I know his voice? And fourth, am I making any decisions in isolation? I actually did read a book uh, recently about decision-making. It's by an uh, author, a uh, pastor named Andy Stanley. Uh, the, decision, or the book is called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. If you want to dive deeper into this topic, I'd encourage you to check the book out. But Andy kind of wraps his whole decision-making paradigm in two questions that I just want to add because I think they're so brilliant in wrapping all of this together. Here's the two questions that Andy suggests, and his book actually gives more that all of us can use as an umbrella over any decision in our life. If we want to make decisions that are faithful to our allegiance to Christ, then we should also always ask, what is the wise thing to do? And often if we just say it out loud, it'll become clear in our hearts. 
And second, what does love require of me? Because love is the method God has chosen for you to accomplish his purposes in your life. If the decisions you make don't look like the love of God on the cross, they're probably not the decisions God has for you. Now, if you're like me, when you've got a critical decision to make, and even if you're going through all the steps, it's really easy to get consumed with a concern about the results. To get consumed and even stuck by thinking, oh, well, what's going to happen? And what are they going to say? And what are they going to do? And, and what's the third and fourth and fifth consequence going to be? We can get consumed and even stuck by worrying about the results excuse me, of our decisions. I was listening to another speaker recently, another covenant pastor, a guy named Craig Groeschel, and he was talking about this very thing. And he said that's why for him, whenever he's making critical decisions, whenever he's actually doing any critical work, here's his point of view. Obsess over the process, not the results. Why? Because if we're honest, the results are out of our control anyway. If I focus on things that are out of control, my life is likely to get a little out of control. But if I focus on the things I can control, then I can say with good faith, God, I have heard you and listened to you and I am doing what you have told me to do. I also ran across another quote from Andy Stanley's father, Charles Stanley, a pastor and minister who has uh, just impacted so many lives over so many years. Here's the way Charles Stanley says some of the same things. He says, Obey God and trust Him with the consequences. Your job is to focus on the process. Ask yourself, have I been honest with myself? Have I been clear? Have I prayed? Have I surrounded myself with wise counsel? Another way you could say it is, have I studied the map? God's word spoken to my life. Have I studied the map? Then have I looked up and have I studied the terrain, the very real circumstances of my life? Have I studied the compass, God's holy presence speaking and guiding to me? If I have done that, then I obey what I hear God telling me to do. And that is my job because I know that if I obey God, I am going to make better decisions. And those decisions are going to lead to good and godly destinations. Next week, we're going to follow this up by looking back at 2020, looking ahead at 2021. And I'd encourage you, please, please, please make sure you're here because I'm actually going to ask you to make a pretty big commitment I'm going to make a pretty big commitment that I'm sharing with you, and I'm going to ask you to join me in making a pretty big commitment together as a church, looking ahead to the year 2021, asking God, where are you leading us? And what decisions do we need to make so that we get there? So please come back next week so that we can continue to study the map, study the terrain around us, study our compass, God's guidance in our life, and make the decisions we need to make in obedience to our good God. Would you pray with me now? And God, I, I just do, I again ask, 
would you call to mind right now, into our hearts, into our minds, call to mind the critical decisions we have to make in our life right now. For many people who are watching on live stream, who are in this community, whether they're watching right now, present with us, or whether they're watching two weeks from now, we have some big decisions ahead of us in the next year. Some of us have some big financial decisions to make. Some of us have some big career or job decisions to make. Some of us are thinking about whether or not to maybe expand our family, how to love well our wife or our boyfriend or our girlfriend or critical friends. Some of us have decisions about how to respond to the things that have happened to us in life. I pray right now that we might call to mind those critical decisions. And as we make them, may we study the map of your counsel to us. Be honest. Be clear. Pray. Don't go alone. May we study the terrain of our lives so that we can say we actually are being honest with ourselves and we've understood the problem and the question rightly. And then God, would we do always what you call us to do, trusting that if we obey you, you can worry about all the rest. We put these decisions into your hands, asking you to strengthen and guide us along the way. Amen.